hearing the message is entitled, A Call to Worship. We will be looking at how to worship, where we worship, and why we worship. And we'll be taking some interesting uh, directions. I just want you to know that if you're uh, taking notes, don't worry. I am leaving. Uh, point one is going to be more heavily uh, addressed than the rest of the points. So if you're taking notes and you think, holy smokes, he's just getting done with point one. Um, take heart. Uh, all right. Let's begin together. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Is it there for you? There it is. Okay, you were so quiet. I want to hear you. Here we go. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. You may be seated. I'm going to read the rest of the psalm because it's only five verses. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. That's an important point, by the way. We are, the, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, entered into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. That's an interesting point right there as well, that his truth endures to all generations. So many people think that from generation to generation, truth has a tendency to change. Um, but truth is the same. Amen. Particularly God's truth. Can you say amen with me? According to a commentary critical and explanatory on the Old and New Testaments, uh, this psalm is a general call on all the earth to render exalted praise to God, the creator and preserver and benefactor of all men. As I was doing my study, I always... You know, when there's a word that's particularly annoying or a word that's particularly interesting, I, I like to share that with you, and mine was authentic ecumenicity. So uh, you can say that three or four times, and uh, that'd be a good work on your uh, pronunciation and, you know, the tongue twisters. It'd be a good one for you right there. Authentic ecumenicity. Uh, it speaks to the broad application and use of this psalm, and that's from Psalm's strophic structure and theological commentary. I get several of my annoying vocabulary words from that particular commentary. So, how we worship. How do we worship? Well, according to this psalm and several of the other places in the scripture, uh, with shouts, joyfully, we serve with gladness, we sing as we come before him, um, there's even dancing thrown in there. A few weeks back, some of us, uh, several of us wanted to dance as we were uh, listening to the last song of the, the message. Um, I don't know how many of you remember that, but that was an enjoyable moment. And in the spirit uh, and truth, John 4.23. So, and just for your information, if, uh, if there's a portion in my PowerPoint that has no uh, reference, then that's something that, uh, through my study and uh, something that I wanted to share with you, those were my words. Uh, if they're someone else's words, I do give them credit for their words. So uh, that's how you can uh, kind of walk through these uh, together with me. Worship is not about form, it's not about style, it's not about musical preference. Uh, worship is about the heart of the worshiper and his or her personal connection admiration, adoration, and veneration of their Heavenly Father. 
Remember that before Paul's missionary journeys, the church was primarily made up of Jewish believers. And we kind of forget that sometimes. The Holy Scriptures for the early church was the Old Testament. We forget that sometimes, too. Um, in fact, we, uh, a lot of churches today like to ignore the Old Testament. But that was the Bible, the inspired Word of God for the early church. And uh, it's an important aspect of, uh, in fact, uh, I'll just say this, that we really don't get very much uh, instructive information from the New Testament in regard to worship. Most of the instructive uh, information we get on how to worship comes from the Old Testament. If you look in the New Testament, the word worship is used several times, but oftentimes in regard to the fact that Someone saw Jesus do a miracle, or he did a miracle for someone, and they worshipped him. Or they worshipped idols, or they worshipped. They used the word worship, which is uh, proskuneo in the Greek, and it basically means bow down. And so, as we look through the New Testament, and we'll look at some of the verses uh, in the New Testament in regard to uh, references to worship, but uh, mostly what we get is instructive, uh, in regard to instructive worship, is from the Old Testament. And so the model for worship was the synagogue. Paul's evangelical ministry produced thriving, growing churches in non-Jewish territories. And that's when all of the trouble began. Because they did things differently. <gasps> Can there be? Should there be? And I would submit to you perhaps yes. I think when the scripture is purposefully vague, um, it's purposefully vague. I think God knew what he was doing when he didn't give us a specific model for how to run a church. You realize in the New Testament, about the only instruction we have is appoint elders. And then we have what kind of people they should be. But we really don't say, well, you you have to come to church, you do three hymns, then you do uh, your announcements, and then you... There's no model of how you do church. And... Around the world, church is done in incredibly different ways. And I think God actually enjoys that. He's very creative, he's an awesome God, and he loves it when people, out of the sincerity of their hearts, worship him in spirit and truth. One of our New Testament references for today. So, Evangelical Dictionary of the Biblical Theology uh, says this, that the tensions between the form and freedom in worship were pressing, Paul, uh, were pressing. Paul's letters established helpful guidelines for resolving the problems associated with practice of Christian worship, and primarily among them was the principle of edification or common good of the congregation gathered for worship. Notice no specific how. Um, the principle of order and peace governing the form of worship, again, no specific how, and principle of clear conscience and individual accountability before the Lord in certain matters related to personal freedoms and preferences in worship. So I'll say this. I want to look at some New Testament scriptures, in the, and um, I've already referenced John 4.23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen? 1 Corinthians 14.15 mentions singing and praying. 
And for specific reasons, I made that particularly vague. Colossians uh, 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, whatever those are. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I happen to know what those are, but I just said that just in case there was, that was supposed to be funny. I'll give you a moment for, it'll sink. All right. Okay, so, so here are three instructive things, right? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Some of the most instructive, uh, for worship, some of the most instructive verses that we get. So what do we do with that verse? Well, we should sing hymns, right? Well, no, we should sing songs. I like the songs. The songs are nice. They're more comfortable. Hymns are old. I don't like hymns. And, blah, blah, blah. and spiritual songs? I'm a little uncomfortable with the whole idea of spiritual songs. What does that mean? Are you catching my drift? Yes. We have three instructions, and we fight over all three. <laughs> we do. Some of you are looking like, no, we don't. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay, so let's just take it. You can close your eyes just for a moment. Just close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Some of you are not obeying. Close, close your eyes. All right. How, how many of you like hymns? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you prefer songs? And how many of you... Well, we won't even go with the third one. So, and some of you like them all. And that, that's good. That's... A, that's yeah, so... So, and that's wonderful, and it's wonderful to be in that place because that's really where we need to be. We need to be in a place where worship isn't about form and style. It's about who we're worshiping. It's about knowing how much God is in. That's one thing I just love about Pastor Danny. He gets so touched because he knows just how much God has done for him. And he starts to... You know, he'll start to read a passage and it just, he'll just get zinged in his spirit about how much that hits home for him and how much he's, he loves the Lord. And it's hard for him to continue. And that's, that's an awesome thing, to be that in touch with what God has done for you. Because if we understand what worship is all about, then we'll understand where worship takes place. <laughs> so how we worship is crucial. Ephesians 5 also mentions speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's one we all love. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. How many of you just love submission? Yeah. Um, that's something we all kind of just have to work through sometimes, particularly if, you know, somebody's telling us something we don't like. Um, what do we do with that? <laughs> so we walk in grace and mercy and humility uh, as we walk together, and, and we submit ourselves to leadership. I've been in, in uh, so many different um, venues for worship. <laughs> My first uh, opportunity to lead worship uh, was when I was very, very young. 
Um, I was traveling uh, locally with uh, an evangelist from a particular denomination, and during uh, the times that he would go down and minister, he would call me up and I would lead the congregation in worship. And so uh, that was a time where it really was a kind of about distraction. So while he was ministering, we, the church congregation, had something to do. So we were singing. So that's oftentimes, I think, how uh, worship is used. And that's really not what worship is, right? However, in the, it, it, when you look at the Old Testament, we enter his courts, enter his gates with singing and his courts with praise. So what took place um, as you entered the gates, you were entering into the outer courts, what took place in the outer courts? Does anybody remember the Old Testament, what took place in the outer courts? Wow, you guys. You need to read your Old Testament. Did they? Oh, I can't hear you. Here, speak in this ear. Sacrifices. So when an animal's being prepared for sacrifice, do you think they're quiet? No, they had 200 singers. And if you read you know, Psalm 50, make a loud noise, sing with loud voice, make, make a loud noise with cymbals. You know, and what I picture as being a musician and, and having been in several services and coordinating things in regard to worship and what's the next part of ministry and all of that, I view this, where the priest is getting ready to prepare a sacrifice, right? And he goes, and the singers go, hallelujah! And the cymbals go, and they just, think about it. That was, that was the praise and the worship that took place in the courts. And so we don't really get that uh, understanding a lot of times when, we, when we're reading, so a lot, I've, I've had, there have been so many teachings that I've, I, in fact, as I was doing my research for the message, I have um, a program on, on my um, laptop that I've used for more years than I want to mention. So it has 100, oh, actually over 100 books, books on worship. How it's supposed to be done, and everybody has this slightly different... In the 80s, it was all about uh, rhythm. You start with fast songs, you move to kind of medium-slow songs, and then you move to slow songs. That was how worship was done. Then in the 90s, they started in with pageantry. Pageantry got real big in the 90s. Behold our God! Dun -dun 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 -dun. And people coming down the aisle with streamers and banners. And I went to a thing in Pasadena that was amazing, but it was like oh, totally pageantry, teaching churches how to be. And, and unfortunately, our church that I was a part of uh, got inspired about some of those things. I, I personally don't like the people with the ribbons, uh, particularly if you sit in the front row because they don't always pay attention to where those things are going. I was always afraid I was going to get a ribbon cut across my nose. And so it was hard for me to worship because that was going on, you know. And sometimes you'd feel the air, you know. And it, 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 it took away from my worship, personally. And 
But that was, that was big. It was big in the 90s. Then, then we got into the whole performance worship, where, you know, the top 40, and um, where, where um, you know, you had your worship bands, and they were you know, working on getting everything, you know, just right. And, and then, you know, the congregation just stood there and watched the band while the band supposedly worshiped. That's not worship either, right? And I think we've kind of come in some ways uh, in churches full circle to coming back to what worship is truly all about. And not caring so much about form and not caring so much about, and by the way, we had kind of moved into then where we worship. That was our second point. So I just kind of moved us, transitioned us into where we worship. Um, And so it's about his presence. It's about the presence of the Lord. And of course, you know, the scripture tells us he's omnipresent. But you know, there in, the, in the scripture, there are different representations in regard to the Hebrew words and Greek words for the presence of the Lord. And there, there is the general presence of God. He's held places at all times, omnipresent. But there's also the manifest presence of God. There's times where you experience God's personal presence. And, and so, some of you might be thinking, really, how does that work? You know, well, when you enter into worship, sometimes a peace will just come over you that passes your own understanding. It's not something that really makes sense. In fact, you may be all freaked out about something in your life, but all of a sudden you just really don't care. You're just so much aware of the presence of the Lord and his peace settles on you. And the scripture calls that a peace that passes our understanding. That's his presence, and he does that in times when we're focused on... So you can't outgive God. God is such an amazing, wonderful father. And the, the more you think that you're making it all about him, the more he blesses you because he loves you as his child. And he welcomes you into that presence. And so entering into that place, that's where we worship the Lord, is in his presence. And where we recognize, in fact, the scripture encourages, there were times that he says, particularly over Israel, that, it, that he inhabited their praise. And... If he inhabited their praise, perhaps he might even inhabit ours. And so there's a sense then of it's a reverent moment. Worship is a reverent moment. And it's a moment for for us to uh, basically come clean before God and say, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say, you're God, I'm not. You are altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. You're altogether wonderful. And see, when we begin to connect with what we're saying and who we are saying it to, it becomes what it really is. That's worship. And it doesn't matter if that happens on how great thou art or I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will you know if you go to cowboy church you're gonna have cowboy worship right in Texas how many of you have ever been to a cowboy worship service in Texas <laughs> hallelujah they might even throw a little, little lassos in Jesus name <laughs> but um, I've been in so many, it's about the presence of the Lord. It's always about the presence of the Lord. 
And I don't care how good the music is, because sometimes really good music can be distracting. Really good music doesn't necessarily mean that it's worthy music in regard to worship. It just means it's good music. And sometimes people that produce really good music struggle with pride. Not just them. I mean, we all struggle with pride. But um, getting to the place where, and, and, and I believe we're supposed to do things with excellence. But again, we can become distracted by the methodologies and the purposes for those methodologies to the point we forget what we're doing. We're supposed to be worshiping the Lord. We're supposed to be entering into his presence. That's where we worship. Why do we worship? <laughs> well, because he is our Savior, he's our Lord, he's our God, he's our creator, he's our owner. I love that. Uh, that's one of uh, the, the issues um, that, and his name just went right out of my head, Payne, Carl, Carl Payne, who's coming in a couple of weeks uh, in September, um, that was one of his issues in regard to the key of understanding uh, dealing with spiritual warfare. By the way, I, I really enjoyed that book. I'm with, I'm with Pastor Danny. I think there are some places where, there are some things I want to ask him about, you know. Um, but uh, for the most part, I thought incredibly practical uh, and incredibly beneficial in that um, we understand and not be fearful about being able to be healed and whole. You know, I believe that God uh, in his word has in so many ways expressed this idea of wholeness. In fact, shalom, peace, and shalom, shalom in the Hebrew culture was absolute and perfect peace. And that's something that God wants each and every one of us to enter into. I, I know people who have sat in church for 40 and 50 years and I'm going to use a phrase a dear friend of mine loved to use. She was a little out there, but she would always say, people are just sitting on their blessed assurance. <laughs> and sometimes we do. And we don't really take seriously our, our business with the Father, our relationship with the Father, and getting whole. You know, the Bible, there's, and we're, we're taught about wholeness and how it happens. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Well, that's, that's for you. Yes, you need to do that. I'm good. But you should confess your faults because you have a problem. Yeah, just remember when you're pointing one finger, there's several pointing back at you. So, it's one of those things that God, God wants to bring us into healing. But iron sharpens iron. Everybody loves that, loves to say that. Iron sharpens iron. Well, how does that happen? Heat and friction. And we're always trying to avoid any heat and friction, right? We're just all supposed to get along. You know, sometimes it's good to have a good, healthy conversation about where you stand, what you think. And then it's always really good to understand that once you've had those conversations, neither one of you have a clue. And, and you know, pretty, at some point, some of us sooner than later, will know because we'll be in his presence and all those questions will be answered. But 
it's good to walk in humility toward one another and to not think you've got it all down. Evangelical Dictionary of the Bible uh, says this. The main ingredient of worship in the Bible is sacrifice. 1 Samuel 24, 24 speaks to the fact that God would prefer us to sacrifice and have a right heart about our approach and our approach to him. In the New Testament, there are three main expressions connected with the worship of the early church, each of which is based on sacrifice. And I'm going to just uh, read these for you because I thought they were just so good. You can write down some of the references for these. But the sacrifice of the body, Romans 12.1, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Sacrifice of one's possessions for God. I think that's probably a given. We understand that, that God owns everything, right? The sacrifice of one's praise to God. And... That's with our lips, right? Praising him with our lips, with our hands, and with our hearts. I'm going to leave you this morning uh, with, uh, and so that obviously was part of the last portion of our message there. Uh, I wanted to leave you with these two quotes because I thought they were great. Uh, this is from the hymn book, Sing Joyfully, by Karen Burton, uh, Karen Burton Maines. She says this, worship has been defined as being preoccupied with God. I love that. Being preoccupied with God. How many of us are preoccupied with pretty much anything and everything except, well, well we give them Sunday. Right? Being preoccupied with God. By cultivating intentionality, by deliberately turning our minds toward divine preoccupation, by developing worship habits and working on them. Intentional worship means a worshiper is not going to church expecting that worship will just happen, but intentionally means that a worshiper is going to church determined to make worship happen. And obviously that's for you personally. Too many Christians worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. I thought that was so good. We must learn to work at our worship so that preoccupation with God becomes delightfully habitual. Isn't that a great statement? I thought it was wonderful. I'm going to leave you finally with a Tozer quote. And as I'm reading this, the worship team can join me. Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross, and rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. Amen. Let's stand. Hallelujah.